Blog Talk Radio. Bowl, or they're going to watch some college basketball. I think you know you still get a mix. But I think uh, 
we're still probably a month away before people really immersing themselves into college basketball. Yeah, ever since the one and dones uh, have just been flooding out of college basketball, a lot of good talent just leaves, and then you almost have to build from scratch from what was. You know, the only good four-year teams that we saw last year, surprisingly for me, was Wichita State, is how they returned most of their guys and became one of the you know, highest-scoring teams, a team since the UNLV in the 90s that went undefeated. But uh, just uh, a quick brush over the uh, the big teams to look out for. The Kentucky Wildcats, they return the Harrison Twins, who should be a big dynamic duo. And with Calipari, you know, bringing in some good freshmen, Willie Cauley-Stein, you know, he's def- he's back from injury. You know, Arizona loses a lot of good players, but they're always a solid team in the Pac-12. And then you got Wisconsin. We we are very familiar with this Wisconsin team, in which they have a projected starting lineup: three seniors, including Frank Kaminsky, who decided to stay for his senior year. The uh, the big guy. Having 15 points a game, who dominated American University in the tournament last year, hmm. and then Duke uh, freshmen and a bunch of juniors, and of course you always have the big teams that that, that rise to the top. But you know, is it is it always going to be? Is Kentucky sort of the the perennial favorite, or is it not going to be like college football, where we see just a random team like K State come from the unranks? And all of a sudden, or TCU come from the unranks and challenged to right now be in the college football playoff. You know, I think you look at the a lot of the big teams, and even Kentucky, which a lot of people have their eyes on. You know, their preseason number last year, they struggled a lot, then they got to the tournament, and then they went on this tremendous run to the championship game. And I think the a key difference with this Kentucky's team, yes, they are uh, John Calipari because there's uh, what nine McDonald's All Americans on this roster. So John Calipari has been utilizing this is what they've called the blue platoon system, using two guys basically at every position rotating. But, of course, you said, and he had a great quote, this isn't communism, he said, and that if anyone stands out, then they'll get start getting the books in the minutes. But this Kentucky team, I like to say the one from last year, they have some returning veterans. You mentioned the Harrison Twins, and you had the you know, forwards, uh, Alex Poitras and uh, Willie Cauley-Stein. They're going to be in the mix. But then you got to look at some of the more veteran teams. Wisconsin, they've returned virtually everybody. they got Kaminsky, who is kind of almost like the consensus preseason player of the year. Uh, Arizona's a loaded club. Duke's got a ton of uh, young guys as well. But I don't know this year, and I, I kind of almost felt like, I mean, everyone looked at the absurd talent last year's Kentucky. I don't know if this year's got a kind of a perennial favorite. But I think there are a bunch of really strong teams. And there's some good teams kind of in the middle tier that could possibly, you know, take a step forward. But I don't know if we're going to have anybody just co- totally come out of the blue and, uh, you know, win it all. But there are definitely uh, some very good teams at the top of the rankings. Yeah, it's an interesting mix. You've got a lot of teams that return a lot of good players. Let's throw out some, some school names to uh, just to, to emphasize that Kansas is one. They they have some good mix. Obviously, they have no Andrew Wiggins, but they return Perry Ellis. They return mm-hmm. Frank Mason the third, Wayne Selden, who is who uh, came off the bench and proved a, a big factor for Bill Self's club. You also have a Virginia team that that went pretty deep in the tournament, won the ACC, 
And uh, I think Joe Harris is the only big guy they, the, their shooter that they lost. But they, and they have you know, most most juniors and a senior. And then you got Gonzaga, who has uh, Demonis Sabonis, who is uh, <laughs> the Judas Sabonis' son. Sabonis was a uh, the Lithuanian that played the Portland uh, Trailblazers and he's president of Lithuania basketball. They're a team that SI has 10th, and they have, and Sabonis is the only underclassman. I think the the big team that like I said earlier is Kansas because there is a freshman on their team that played with uh, the, I think, Ukraine, who is um, Sadislav Mikaluk, only 18 years old, and Probably has the size completely on the NBA, but Bill Self knows how to, to sort of groom these guys to become team players because that's why you saw Andrew Wiggins not he could have easily exploded for like thirty points a game, but Self does a very good job of of mm. keeping him you know if within within the team, and and that's why Kansas can run the table and do well in the Big Twelve. Fortunately, another team that uh, could be very surprising, which I never understand how, but University of Texas. Which has seniors, and then you know Isaiah Thomas is on the region, my regional cover, who I had no idea who he was when I first saw this guy, and oh. I always say you know Texas is is a team that is always on the hot, always on the hot seat, and always satisfied with an eight nine seed in the tournament. If they go any bit better, then it's a good year. If they do any worse, then everyone's always calling for Rick Barnes's, you know, to be fired. Which I think, you know, if he with the, as good as a recruiter he is, he's not a good recruiter though, because it, the University oh. of Texas, you have the biggest school in the state, so you have, you know, pickings for the best talent, and yet Texas goes eleven and seven in the Big Twelve last year, which I mean it was a very good Big Twelve, but still, for as much talent as they get. Because he always recruits the football guys. I think he's on the hot seat. Many people are saying, you know, Buzz Williams or even the Shaka Smart could be re- replacing Rick Barnes. So, But Texas is a team that comes out of nowhere. And then you have the Louisville's. Louisville in the ACC this year. Not looking mm-hmm. forward to that because it totally ruins the ACC. Because yeah. then they got, got the Q's and Louisville. And they got Patina. So you have Patino Bayheim for an ACC um Title instead of, instead of a, instead of a biggies, but we'll move forward to that because as you scroll, as, you know, as flipping through the magazine, it gets to the other uh, projected tournament seedings in the tournament, and lo and behold, we see our our own American University snug right there in the uh, the fifteen fifteen spot against uh, Kansas, which is uh, definitely a road I do not want to take. But no. Flo, returning Patriot League champions. Complete 180 from last year, and you get to experience it all on campus. They play yeah. tonight against Temple. The uh, the second era. That's always a thing. Are you concerned that Brennan will go through the uh, proverbial sophomore slump as a second year head coach? You know, I think it's something that's going to be interesting to watch, particularly as they get through the Patriot League. Because as you saw last year, when they had that tremendous, that awesome start to the Patriot League. You know, I think that there was sort of almost like an element of surprise. I think people, A, didn't, may not have known really how good the team was, and B, how, what Brennan was going to do. And I think you see that every now and again when you get a new coach 
that, you know, he's coaching for the first time. There's that element of surprise that nobody really knows what to expect. Then in the second half of the Patriots season, there were, it was a bit more inconsistent. But, and then, you know, people, you know, people forget. Well, the uh, the Eagles almost didn't even get to the Patriot League championship. They had to put together that awesome run late in the uh, semifinal again. At home. at home, nonetheless. I was at that game. I was oh. still here. It was spring break. and But, you know, we nearly lost that game. We were down by 10. And well, the season seemed to be slipping away, but then they kind of roared together. Then they saw uh, BU the third time after they had split the first two games, and then it was a tight game, and then obviously they went out in the grinder. I think it's going to be interesting to see that going forward because – or how people adjust to Brennan and such. And also because this team is virtually the same except for an added wrinkle of having Kevin Panzer, the transfer, from Nevada, uh, a big guy that can shoot, which is something AU hasn't really had Seemingly since uh, the great uh, Vladimir Blano, because he could step out and pop in. I mean, I'm not saying he is as good as him, but I think it's going to be interesting to watch. And it, but as I've said before, this team's got you know everyone's aiming for these guys this year, so they're not going to be sneaking up on anybody. They should still win the Patriot League, but the Patriot League, as uh, you know, as I've always said, you know, it's a funky league. You know, everyone will play it tough, except for the really bad teams like you know Navy and such. There are some decent teams, Army, Lafayette, they'll be in the mix. But uh, the, I would be relatively surprised if AU did not win Patriots this year. Yeah, well, Boston's Boston's pretty much out of the picture. They're, their best player transferred to Creighton, ironically. Yeah. Uh, which is where our director of basketball operations is from. So, Ooh. With, uh, yep. with American University, I think they'll go through the sophomore slump. And I'm not, not, not taking shots at Brennan because he's a very uh, he's proved he's a very good coach. But uh-huh. uh, it, the key, the one key factor is how good is Panzer? How good is Panzer? And who will fill that role of Tony Rablicki? Because we'll play. This is uh this is actually from Ben's Vassal Media Day, courtesy of uh, of of our good uh. Mole in the field, our reporter in the field, uh, the great Nick Papadis. It's a great group of guys. We have the majority of the team back. So we're just looking forward to a, a great season again and uh, hoping to do more than what we did last year. I already know I'm going to be playing some minutes, so I'm just looking forward to playing again. Uh, <laughs> I just played, uh, we've been practicing full court, and it's kind of different for me. I haven't done that in a while, but um, it felt good, and um, I'm excited to play this year. And getting to work with Tony last year and this year kind of getting to be in some of the same roles as Tony, how important was it to get to work with somebody with such leadership as Tony? Um, well, actually, Tony and I were teammates in high school, AAU team, so, and he's the reason why I'm here, basically. Um, but, yeah, he was, he was a great player. A lot of people didn't realize the impact he had on the team. I mean, he, his numbers showed it, but he really played a huge role in our success last year. And being able to, you know, go against him and him playing against me, it was really fun in practice, and I was, I was happy I was able to play with him. That's Kevin Panzer, transferred from Nevada, sat out uh, with NCAA rules, and making his debut for the Eagles tonight. He's going to be the, one, the key factor if we win or lose. Because in the Patriot League, it takes two things to win. It takes a solid guard and a post player. We've seen that with the, with the Bucknells where we had Mike Muscala 
and with Lehigh we saw CJ McCollum and Gabe Knutson, the big the big center who could shoot threes. So if so Panzer and then you look at the, you look down the depth chart and you see you know, Zach O'Connor, you see um, you know, possibilities of Kyle Kager once he gets back from injury. But Panzer is the X factor. I've seen YouTube videos of this. I've seen former games of him when he was at Nevada. And this guy can shoot. This guy has range. The only question is now is his fitness. And of course, that's the yeah. beauty of non. That's the beauty of non-conference. And in the Patriot League with Brendan's offense, it's very slow, very methodical. You know, 30 to 35 second possessions. All you chewing up all that shot clock. He's going to be the key factor. Because we have a very dominant backcourt with Gardner and Schof. And we have guys that can shoot. So that's, that's going to be the thing, though, is when teams play 2-3 zone, it's, it's, it's over. Because we're a very good outside shooting team. But we're also a team that, with Roblicki last year, did not... Brendan would refuse to let us fall in love with the jump shot. Yeah. Because everything would go essentially everything would go through him or Alcano when he came off the bench or Kager in that four position. Now you have Panzer that can shoot. So mm-hmm. this is an AU team that's probably gonna average about, you know, fifty, sixty shots a game. Which as a for a coach running a Princeton offense is a nightmare. So that I think halfway through the Patriot League season is where AU will face an identity crisis. Do they wanna be run and gun showtime? Because you know, looking at Panzer, he's definitely him and Gardner could be you know the best one-two punch in the in the conference. Or do they stick mm. with do they stick with their you know their guns and what Brendan Brendan's bread and butter of the backdoor high post? That's that's my concern because a lot of times last year we saw this offense stall out. Yeah. So the pros and cons, you know the. The pros would be it's stalled out, but you know Brandon's in his second year. The team now fully understands it. He returns you know, like ninety percent of his roster, <laughs> so things will be improved. But the other thing is, you know, you have players now that can shoot, which we saw last year with, with Jesse Reed. But you know, in the games that AU lost, offenses stalled out. We turned the ball over. Most of our game, most of our losses were on the road as well, and you know, and also we had no bench. That is another yeah. thing we did. We, did, we did, and, I, and I have no idea if we have a bench this year or not. So you know, Blicky got in some foul trouble, and then we struggled. You know, we lost to. That's you know that's when we lost to Boston. That's when we lost to Loyola. Uh-huh. So so bench and. And, you know, patience, I guess, is sort of the two keys. I think American will win it. Because looking at the uh-huh. teams in the Patriot League, the only legitimate threat, maybe Holy Cross, maybe Lafayette, is, is Army. Which, uh, shout out to Army, yeah, featured in absolutely. Sports Illustrated. Great, great piece. Absolutely. Uh, and Shove was quoted. You you told That's me right. that. That's right. Yeah. Because so, Army, yeah. they, they, I remember my junior year, they started five freshmen at one point. And so these guys are now are now juniors with a lot of experience. And the thing with Army and with Zach Spiker's game plans, they play like they go like eleven guys deep. So when we face Army the second time in the season, that's going to be sort of the key. But ironically enough, when we last time we faced Army in the Patriot League tournament, uh, we lost at Army. <laughs> but before that was when we 
won in the semifinals to go back to back. So that was, that was actually the last time Army was a good team in the Patriot League. And speaking of a good player in the Patriot League, here is uh, more from AU Media Day with uh, the Mr. Jesse Reed. Yeah, it's a little different this year because I was always used to being the young guy. Right. But um, now I'm one of the more experienced players. But uh, it's, uh, it's different, but it's fun. Uh, it's nice being able to kind of know what I'm doing and have the ability to help out the other guys. I was never in that position before yet. So, um, yeah, I mean, it feels good to be able to help everybody out. And uh, the young guys are coming along really fast, uh, especially with the veteran group that we have coming back from last year. So we have a good group of guys and a good chemistry that we're mixing pretty well. And Coach talks about it all the time, the leadership of both Pee Wee and John. How crucial is it to have such strong leaders on the team? Uh, I mean, it, it does everything for us. Having those guys we go to every day is there to motivate us, push us, and follow by their example. I mean, it helps. It helps us because we know what we have to, uh, what we have to do to perform at their level, to perform the best we can as a team. They set a great example for us. Individually, uh, I mean, all aspects of my game. Uh, you know, I mean, you can never be satisfied with where you're at. Uh, there's always room for improvement. Even the best in the world always have room for improvement. So especially a guy like me, I want to try and uh, try and improve on every aspect of my game just to be better for my team. So American University tips off their. 2014-15 campaign tonight against Temple. Now a member of the uh, of the American Conference. Mm-hmm. And that game is 7:30 p.m. Eastern, live on ESPN3. How about that flow? You get two. This is the game against Illinois. Two ESPN3 games. We make the tournament, and we are just spoiled. That's right. You know, gotta love those internet broadcasts. And a fun fact that I pointed to you last night. One of the new hires of uh, ESPN's college basketball uh, bro- uh, studio announcers and announcers is a Craig Robinson. No, not uh, Craig Robinson of The Office and various films fame, but Craig Robinson, the former head coach at Oregon State before that Princeton, also known for being the what, the brother of a Michelle Robinson. Actually, that's Michelle Nay Robinson because now Michelle Robinson is Michelle Obama. So, yes. As I get through that long winding trail, uh, the guy doing the game tonight on ESPN three is the brother-in-law of President Barack Obama. So how about that? All right, and before we uh, wrap up with college basketball, big conferences to look out. This is a year that I'm very excited in college basketball because there's no. We mentioned Kentucky, we mentioned Kansas, we mentioned Duke and Wisconsin, but this is also where team. It's like a recycled year of of, of t- programs that were once good went bad now good again. So some big some so some big programs to watch out for. Steve Alford at UCLA is slowly building this program to be very good. They did have three guys go to the draft last year, but always a good team to look out for. Another one I'm going to throw out there is SMU. Larry Brown is in his third season. Yeah. And they made the NIT finals, which was staggering considering they were robbed of the NCAA tournament. But look for them to be one of the one of the best in the in the America Conference because now Louisville's gone. It's basically UConn, Cincy, and SMU. And last time, you know, I mentioned those three teams in a sentence was never. Yeah. And then and then look and then other big teams, especially in the in the Big Twelve. We mentioned Kansas, Texas, Iowa State. They do lose the Big Twelve's leading scorer, but uh, Fred Hoiberg, another fantastic coach, who has really turned around this program at Iowa State back to the their old ways of of yesteryears when like Marcus Simon was playing with uh with 
and then uh, Jamal Tinsley to throw some old school names, and that's pretty much it. No, of course, big, big, yeah, like, like, also, like Flo said, once college football ends, we'll, we'll actually get fired up for that. Speaking of college exactly. football, um, I do want to pass this, uh, this hilarious anecdote from last week's Oregon Utah game. And there's a very funny story behind it. With, uh, ESPN, Brad Nessler on the call. 79 yards for the score. Well, he had 57 yards passing last week. What's going on on the field here? Wait a minute. You know what? Kalen Clay dropped the football before he crossed the goal line. The play is under further review. This will be interesting. The side judge was watching it the entire way. Watch Kalen Clay before he crosses the goal line. He drops the ball clearly. What was he thinking? Oh, my goodness. What would have been a 79-yard touchdown is going to be a 99-yard touchdown in the other direction by linebacker Joe Walker. Yeah, so that that, that completely altered the game. Utah had Oregon on the ropes, had him at home. And then Kalen Clay, who has uh, a Snack Radio intern, Graham Burns, pointed out, it's the same high school as the uh, the moron Deshaun Jackson, who, as <laughs> we know, dropped the ball at the goal line twice, one with the Eagles, and then one doing a ridiculous cartwheel in the U.S. Army game. But that's just our funny. That's just our funny antidote of the game. But for, uh, going going to college football, big game this weekend: Mississippi State, Alabama, in which Bama. Snubbed out of the uh, of the top four for this week, but Flo, do you think is it a huge shakeup if Mississippi State were to lose this game? You know, uh, I've seen so many people pick uh, Alabama to win this game, and this season to see why Alabama's been playing great since the the tight Arkansas game, uh, and uh, you know, Sims has been great. Amari uh, Cooper is awesome, even though he struggled a little bit against LSU. They didn't get lucky at LSU uh, last week, but I'm one of the few people that's going with uh, Mississippi State tomorrow. I'm a firm believer in this team, what Dan Mullen is doing with this program. They ha- have legitimate talent. Dak Prescott is a hell of a player. So I really think that, you know, it's, it's a huge game. It's the biggest game of the year, in my opinion, in the SEC. Uh, even more so than Yegbo because Ole Miss has already lost a couple times. And I think this game is going to be huge, is obviously going to be huge for the playoff. And depending on if Alabama wins and they win out, and then Mississippi State wins and they win out, you can very well see both teams in the college football playoff. If Mississippi State wins, I, I have a hard time unless we get some other shenanigans seeing Alabama get again. They'll definitely be a lot for one of the uh, – Selection committee games, which are which are the Cotton, Peach, Orange, and the Fiesta this year. But it's definitely a huge game. But I'm gonna go with the uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Hale State. I'm gonna go with Klanga here, and I think they're gonna pull off what's re- gonna be a relative upset. Yeah, I mean, in Tuscaloosa, Des- Mississippi State wins. Das Prescott wins the Heisman. No question about it. Big key win, and. It's interesting because they run that same – because Dan Mullen was the offensive coordinator with, under Urban Meyer when the immortal Tim Tebow was at Florida. And you look at the offense, and it's the exact same. It's a lot of the read option. You have a speedy quarterback and Prescott, great wide receivers, and a solid running game. 
Alabama's defense, though, they've been, they've stepped it up. They they shut out a, a bad Texas A&M. They've are really hyped up for this game. You look at the, look at the past matchups, and it could be also this. Is, I mean, there's no trap game because Auburn is playing Georgia, so they're definitely on the ropes as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like it. I like I like Flo's pick of Mississippi State going into Tuscaloosa and winning. You know, cause we, yeah, last time there, last time we saw you know a, a speedy quarterback go into Alabama and win. Uh, he ended up he ended up winning the Heisman, and that was the, that was Cam Newton. That's a little, right. uh, little interesting history. Auburn, Georgia. And that's John Manziel on the list too. He, he went in and yep. caused some problems there as well. So Flo knows his stuff. Uh, another big game: ABC, uh, Nebraska, oh. Wisconsin. That could be a, a place for the for, uh, Big Ten supremacy to face Mississippi, uh, Michigan State, and then Auburn, Georgia, ESPN seven fifteen. Saturday night, so a lot of games of, of ranked versus unranked. So a little, so we can take a sort of take a breather from college football, uh, which the past weeks have been, just been out of control and insane. But we'll go back to uh, <laughs> the, uh, the college football playoff on the other side of the show, and we will also talk some uh, some NASCAR championship. Yes. As Homestead is Sunday, and there are four unlikely guys that are fighting for their first title. We'll break that down. You're listening to Fnatic Radio, presented by 1-800-Flowers on Block Talk Radio. It's Fnatic Radio. It's as good as it gets. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fnatic Radio on Block Talk Radio.
Along the Seed here on Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program presented by 1-800-Flowers' fans. You can head over to 1-800-Flowers.com for some special Thanksgiving promo where for a limited time, you can uh, give thanks and send smiles. Because we in Fnatic Radio don't forget the lost holiday of Thanksgiving, unlike 90% of corporate America, the commercials I've seen ever since the <laughs> month of November began. But you order early for Thanksgiving and save 20% on your flowers and gifts. Purchase at 1-800-Flowers.com. Use promo code THANK20. So T-H-A-N-K-T-W-N-T-Y at checkout. Offer ends the 16th. Fnatic Radio, Mike Gardner, Ben Florence. Talked a little bit of college basketball the first half of the show. Now we mentioned Kentucky, Kansas, Wisconsin, three big teams to look out for. I also want to give a shout-out to Marco Vosic, John Show, Tony Rublicki, and Jesse Reed as their photos were featured in Sports Illustrated. And again, in the, in the two-versus-15 game last year in the NCAA tournament, American has got some mag space with... The article about Bo Ryan locked and loaded for the Wisconsin Badgers. But of course, as always, what did Kansas do? Kansas is unfortunately not in the chase, but this Sunday, NASCAR champion will be crowned, as Flo mentioned to me last week, a first time champion. Kevin Harvick, Ryan Newman, Denny Hamlin, pal Joey Logano, Duke it out in Homestead. Flo, is it? I, is it sad, it's sad that the NASCAR season's coming to an end, but we have always been anti-chase or anti-playoff. But do you think that the fact that four guys out of a 43 field will be fighting for a championship make it that much more exciting? Or is, or is, the, is everyone just so tired of this chase that it's almost like, eh, who cares? You know, I think what's interesting about this chase is that, you know, we look at it now. I think this certainly brought a ton of excitement. Uh, as uh, I'm Stephanie Gekko, I love the elimination races. I think that that brought so much more uh, necessity to each race that it made these la- the last race before the elimination just totally wild. And, you know, guys going out to win, trying to get, you know, as we saw on uh, Saturday, Kevin, or uh, this past Sunday, Kevin Harvin basically had to win and get in, and he did that. And then you had Ryan Newman, who who was one spot out. uh, He more or less punted Kyle Larson into the wall and to get to that spot, to get to the championship. Uh, But as I've also said, I don't love that everything's coming down to this one race. And we've had de facto championship races before. Uh, you know, Tony Stewart and Carl Edwards a few years ago. Of course, the legendary Atlanta race when Alan Kowicki won it, which actually, if you put in the old system, when Kowicki won it, you know who would have won the title that year? Kyle Petty. Kyle Petty with the chase could have been a champion, which is fantastic. But, I, you know, I, I think this, this Sunday's race with the four drivers, I think it certainly is going to be something to watch because you have four different drivers who have gotten there Four different ways. You have you have Ryan Newman, who's almost made a mockery of the chase of the fact that you know you need to win, and you need to win. Uh, Harvick and Logano have won a ton, and Hamlin's been very consistent as well. 
But especially at Homestead, he, he yeah, especially at Homestead, he won it last year. Exactly, he's won twice there. So it's, some of these races are certainly going to be fascinating. Whether it'll, now it'll be comical if we actually have a champion who win it this year that didn't win. And quite frankly, if Ryan Newman, they, there was a thing by uh, Jeff Owens sporting news about it. If Ryan Newman wins the championship, if you look at his numbers, he only has four top fives and 15 top tens. They would, that would both be the lowest ever for a champion. And even if he were to win, they, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy how in a system that has rewarded winning that he has been able to get to this point. I love it. I hope he, you know, I hope he doesn't, you know, I hope he doesn't win but wins the championship. I want, the, I want, you know, NASCAR <laughs> to eat that plate of crow. How dare they've messed with the chase and then just got rid of it and then made it a playoff. Because one thing that Robin Pemberton, when he first came out with, when NASCAR first came out with this new chase, by the way, which was so last moment, January 30th was the day it was released, which was like two weeks, three weeks before the season started. And one thing he said is winning is everything. I want a guy to win the championship that didn't win just to show how stupid NASCAR is completely run by the television corporations and the sponsors and the like the 2% of fans that want to see fights and crashes. It's lost all moral values from what the foundation it was found on. It's just it's turned into a mockery. The best guys don't win. That being said, though, Flo, who do you have hoisting the uh, the Sprint Cup uh, Sunday evening? You know, uh, I I got Kevin Harvick. I think he's going to win this Sunday. And, you know, he's never won at Homestead before, but he's run very well if you look at his numbers. Uh, And I think that he has the the quote-unquote momentum going into this race with the big Phoenix when he's all, as I I said in my predictions uh, a couple days ago, He's a guy that, you know, he maybe he shouldn't get enough credit, although he probably gets enough credit for it. He's a guy that always seems to know, put himself in position to win races late in races, especially when he's not had, you know, the best car leading most times. But he always finds a way to get in the mix. And so I think he is going to come out. I think he's going to win and win the championship. Uh, I, Harvick is my guy, but I can see, you know, Hamlin's been – Hamlin's been a guy that's been very under the radar. Nobody's really talked about him at all during this chase. He was, your, he was your dark horse to win. He was my dark horse to win because he's been very solid all year, and he didn't get a win earlier. But nobody's really talked about him because everyone's talked about the fight, which he hasn't gotten in. People have talked about Newman, which he's been consistent, but he's you know he's not been as consistently average as Newman has been. And then, you know, a guy that I haven't mentioned yet in uh, Joey Logano, who he's been, you know, winning races all year and won races in two of the first three segments. He's a guy that's been very strong at the intermediate track. So I think there's a bunch of guys. I could I could honestly see all four guys winning. I think if Newman wanted to be hilarious for, for this chase format, I think he could possibly try to lead NASCAR to, you know, have to change their format a little bit because let's be honest, he's had a great year. He's a very good driver. He's very talented. But Ryan Newman, as I said, he would have one of the probably the worst season ever for a champion. I mean, that's just it's crazy to think about. And you know, I always like Ryan Newman, but you know, it has to be. I have to admit it. You know. Yeah, uh, I'm going with you picking Kevin Harvick. I think winning at Phoenix did just wonders for him. His team. 
his team, Penske and Jeff Gordon, were the, the three best teams this entire year from from Daytona to now. And I think he, other than Ryan Newman, Kevin Harvick is the only Chevy-powered car left in the championship. That's which right. Gets his stuff from Hendrick Motorsports, who with Jeff hey. Gordon was uh, him, Jimmy Johnson, Jail Jr. They combined for like a dozen wins, which is outstanding. Uh, Denny Hamlin has proven well. I don't think the Toyotas were out great this year. They only, they think they had less than three wins. You know, Kyle Busch got one. Denny Hamlin got one. Matt Kenseth didn't win at all, and yeah. no other, to- and then no other Toyotas made it to victory lane. Joey Logano, though, on the other hand, I think I mean, is is the is the dark horse of these four guys, because as you mentioned, is very good on mile and a half, and he is going into this race with Todd Gordon, so they're going experiencing this for this for the first time. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if he wins. Personally, as as a as a 22 year old, I would love to see him win because. <laughs> That one that he you know, he's the leader of the new school in NASCAR. That's right. He is sort of the front of the wave of the Larsons and the Chase Elliotts, you know, and the Ricky Stenhouses. That's that's he he represents the new generation, and that is so what NASCAR is looking for. Because that'd be cool to see a 24 year old. Because now he becomes the face of of the driver of the you know the the touring series the nationwide series and you can say, look, we had this guy rise through the ranks and, and win the championship. We just starting from 18 years old to 24 year old. Now I'm not going mean, to, I for, per, personally, I don't really care who wins. I think this chase is flawed. You know, if Ryan hmm. Newman wins, it'll be a joke. Winning, oh, yeah. obviously, obviously winning doesn't emphasize everything because Kevin Harvick is really the only guy that actually won and got in. The rest got on points so, who knows? That's the Sunday, though. Ford 400. Be there or be square. Yeah. And, of course, FRPD is back on the case. The FNAC Radio Forensics team. Time to break down for different stories of a great segment called Good Cop, Bad Cop. Or <laughs> Case. Number with Officer Flo, I'm Officer Gardner, where case number one is the New York Knicks. Everyone oh, was God. all excited for this team. And they lost Tyson Chandler, but you know, they got they got Phil Jackson at the helm. He hires Derek Fisher, you know, his own protege. Maybe this is the year that the Knicks can turn around. Although it's been the exact opposite. They're two and seven, including Wednesday night's loss to the Magic where J.R. Smith takes the last shot, and here is what he told reporters on his decision. If I force that into him, what kind of shot is he, is he really going to have? A turnaway fadeaway? Uh, that's not, I mean, that's not the best shot we want. Uh, and I don't think it's enough time for him to shed his feet and do what he wanted to do. Uh, by the time I catch it, pass it to him, luckily it'll be one whatever at at the time and then try to force a shot up like that. Uh, I think we went with the best shot. Or I think it was the right shot and uh, just didn't make it. Of course, Neil, he's talking about not passing it to Carmelo Anthony and J.R. Smith saying the best shot, the right shot, was a brick off the side of the backboard. I'll take <laughs> good cop because I know how much you just despise the Knicks. 
the good cop thing is it's only, you know, f- nine games into the season. The Knicks need to catch a break. They have been facing bad teams. But we saw this last year. They started bad and then are scrambling towards the end. My thing, of course, my thing is give Derek Fisher time. Of course, I don't think he's the right man for the job. But, you know, I think Phil Jackson is not ready to give up on this team just yet. Officer Flo. Yes. Yeah, uh, the Knicks are in trouble, aren't they? Oh, well, absolutely. I think that, you know, I didn't love this team. Uh, I thought they, they uh, you know, I didn't think it was out, out of the realm, but I still don't think they can get to the, into the playoffs because the bottom of the Eastern Conference isn't good. But, you know, you look at this team, you know, and uh, at Ball Don't Lie, they have a pretty good analysis of how or if it would have been tough for J.R. Smith or for Pablo Prigioni to inbound to Carmelo at the end for J.R. Smith to go to get the ball to him in that specific regard. But, you know, and, and don't forget, this is, this is a couple of weeks ago. There's, you know, a lot of Knicks fans, including I live with one, and, you know, they were riding high after they beat the Cavs. But now you look at it, it's been very inconsistent. I think that Derek Fisher, I actually will disagree with you on Derek Fisher. I think he can be a good coach. But I think he's also just feeling himself out. Dude, late in the game, he did pull Carmelo Anthony, which was kind of odd, considering it was such a tight game. But I think Derek Fisher, you know, with, when you have a guy that's never been a coach before, early in the season, they're just trying to feel themselves out. Sometimes they think they're smarter than they are. Sometimes they don't have enough confidence in themselves. So I'm not too worried about Derek Fisher. I'm not that high on this team. I think J.R. Smith, well, I don't give him a huge – Put the blame on him. He's also pretty much a terrible fit for the trying office. I think he's going to get moved at some point. This team really isn't going anywhere. But for, to be honest, I think everyone made it clear this was not going to be for this year for the Knicks. This year, probably looking more toward the future. But this year, I mean, I just think, you know, Knicks media equal mediocrity. Yep. Case number two is Kobe Bryant. Bryant. There's your record setting miss. Yes, Kobe Bryant has missed more shots than anybody else in NBA history, but he's made a whole bunch, and he has a fistful of rings. Oh, my God, right? Good cop, bad cop. Earlier in the week, Kobe Bryant set the NBA record for the most misses in a career. Now, he is fifth all-time in scoring, and the guy in the announcer did say he has a fistful of rings. So, Flo, do you want to take good cop or bad cop? Whether is Kobe Bryant just – is this just a testament of how – how selfish he truly is, or is it just nature of the beast? You know, I, I'm not going to get – I'm actually not going to bash uh, Kobe here. I'm going to take the good cop here. You know, you look at the list of guys that have the all-time most misses. You have guys like Michael Jordan. You have, you know, the very best players in NBA history. And, you know, I mean, Kobe Bryant. Who do you want making shots? Do you want Kobe Bryant? Do you want Jordan Hill? So people forget. And that, you know, everyone bashes Kobe, you know, for taking so many shots and, you know, and, you know, having that, that's why when everyone does the, you know, they'll like throw a crumple up a piece of paper towards the thing they'll do a paper, they'll be like, Kobe? But, you know, I, uh, you know, I got no problem with it. You have to look at so much of his career when he wasn't playing for those uh, Shaq teams and then the teams that have Gasol and Odom. He played, played for a lot of crappy teams. Like, let's not forget the, the legendary Kalani Brown, Chris Mims. Yes. Vlade I mean, those teams were just, yeah, Vlade Divac at the <laughs> very end of his career. I mean, he played for a lot of crappy teams. 
for a guy that has won his ring. So I really don't – I think that people are making too much of a big deal out of it because, you know what, Kobe Bryant, even on this team, he's still the best player on the team. And so generally, I mean, I don't, I mean, you know, you, you've coached before. Generally you want your best guy taking the most shots. I could be wrong, but that's how I feel. So I'm not too worried about it. Flo may be wrong, but he doubted. <laughs> to quote great Charles Barkley. All right, uh, Next case is the great Adam Silver, who wrote an op-ed in the New York Times wanting to legalize and regulate sports betting. Flo, mm-hmm. good cop or bad cop on your boy Silver? You know, I think Adam Silver has proven himself again. You know, he said before, he said in September, I think, uh, you know, gambling in sports, I think it's inevitable. But we've never had a commissioner, and I was stunned when I read this, but I also thought it was hilarious. You know, I'm not a gambling nor am I a rambling man, which is a fantastic song by the Almond Brothers. But, you know, I look at I read the article. I think he makes some really strong points that a lot of people make about sports gambling. You know, the law came out in the early 90s, and now there's controversy about it because of the state of New Jersey, which I currently, or I'm from, has tried to legalize, wants to legalize sports gambling at the racetrack and casinos, particularly as a way to help Atlantic City, which has been a fiasco. And, but, you know, this, your sports gambling is only allowed in four states, Nevada, Montana, Delaware, and I'm drawing the fourth. And, and maybe one of the Dakotas. Um, but, you know, which is, it makes no sense. Why are those four states the only states allowed to do it at all? And I think you make the valid point. There's so much illegal gambling and people going to offside websites and shady websites and all kinds of stuff or in all kinds of, you know, illicit ways to gamble. I think it makes sense for, you know, a commissioner like him. I mean, I, you know, I basically out of the is at a point where he can virtually do no wrong. He's just been doing such a tremendous job. But, and you think about it, his reasoning makes total sense. This is happening anyway. Let's regulate it. And, you know, get control of it and bring the sports gambling out into the open away from, you know, kind of the shady ways people do it. I, I loved it. And I thought his uh, op-ed was great. And I'm totally the good cop here. I'll say, I'll say bad cop. I mean, I can't really can't argue with that logic. But I'll say bad cop because it's kind of bad when the head of a league wants to legalize gambling. That has, like, like 1920s Al Capone mobster written all over it. Yeah, when you think of that, it, it's like, well, because then, you know, where the, where's the money going to go? It's going to get lost. Everyone's going to be like, oh, he's going to embezzle it. It's going it's to be prohibition. People are running through the streets. Bacardi's going to be flying everywhere. Or Ciroc, host of the NBA. <laughs> yes! Yes! So, it could be, I mean, this is, it's such a, it's such a, it's so ambitious, but it's such a dangerous idea. I mean, the fact that he wrote an opt-in in the New York Times is, is amazing. And he lose a lot of good points, but you know if he if he is plugging so much on New Jersey, you know then every state then they'll just open a huge can of worms, and then every state will be wanting Silver's head, which would be very sad because he's done such a great job. And of course, our well, I final think, I think his point is that he, he makes the point about New Jersey, you know that he says he doesn't want New Jersey to have this. He said he I think he just wants to scrap the law altogether because. You know, the point with the gambling, it's happening anyways. You can do it in Nevada. You can do it in Delaware. You can do it in Montana and the mysterious other state that I'm forgetting. 
You know, it's not yeah. like gambling isn't happening at all. But now people do it anyways. It's just that they're doing it, you know, under the table and the legal bookies and all that shit. Right. And, of course, our last case, uh, a very funny one that, that we came across this week, uh, the case of Daniel Tosh versus ESPN. Now, comedian Daniel Tosh has a show called Tosh.0 on Comedy Central, which he basically makes fun of of people doing stupid things on the Internet. And he has a very, uh, fa- very infamous uh, segment called the Web Redemption, where where you have, you know... You know the, the the kid the kid in the back seat of his car after going to the dentist asking if this is real life the guy who saw the double rainbow any news anchor that gets like attacked by a bug and starts yelling and cussing on camera gives him another shot but unfortunately he uh, ESPN had a similar idea and our good friend Tosh was not happy but now sports channels are stealing from me. Did ESPN really think I wouldn't notice when they came up with an eerily familiar new segment called Awesome Video Segment? We got a new device coming up. It's called, the inaugural piece is called the Awesome Video Segment. And this one centers on that, that skating, tripping over the red carpet singer guy whose name, he's got a name, is Mark Donnelly. I've seen it on SportsCenter a million times, but if you're like me, you still have a million questions. I went to Canada and asked Mark Donnelly what he was thinking. I don't know why I didn't notice it when I went around before. And then with the two spotlights on me, I couldn't see what was in front of me. All right, listen closely and tell me if you've heard this next phrase before. Do you think you would be willing to give it another shot? They must have missed that one episode where I said that before. Are you ready to give it another shot? Are you ready to give it another shot? You ready to give it another shot? Are you ready to give it another shot? Are you ready to give it another shot? Do you think you would be willing to give it another shot? Sure. You fucking hacks are cheapening my brand. I'm fine with kids in high school or college plagiarizing, but once you work for a real network, you should have some goddamn self-respect. Hello, good cop, bad cop. What is the verdict on Tosh? With ESPN res- uh, responding, according to TMZ, saying basically it was just a common phrase, and we we're basically saying, "Screw you, Tosh. We're going to c- keep doing this segment." You know, I've made it clear I don't like Tosh at all. I'm not a fan of his show. I think, he, quite frankly, I think he sucks. But I'm going to go good cop here. I love the fact that you know. I mean, let's be honest. Yes, we're going to give him another shot. And, but, you know, you'll, you'll watch the video. It's so eerily similar to what Tosh did. There, you know, you, you can't watch, watch that thing and realize, oh, yeah, they basically copied cop this thing. Now, if they had said something like, but they had got permission, like, oh, to borrow from a popular show, Tosh, boy, oh, we're going to give this guy an extra. I think if that would have happened, that would have been fine. I think all parties would have been fine with that. But then they were basically just like, you know, well, the fact that it was called awesome video thing. I mean, who thought of that? That's, that sounds like it was it was a working title. And then they were like, you know what? Screw it. We'll, we'll, we'll worry about it later. I mean, so, you know, I, I, I don't blame Josh here. I think it's pretty clear in my eyes that they basically ripped him off, which is kind of lame, but, you know. But, hey. It's- it just makes me. It makes me hate. It makes me hate ESPN even more. You know, the fact that yeah. that they have to 
first of all, no one watches SportsCenter anymore. It's the way because you know it wasn't like what it was when you know Dan Patrick and Keith Overman were on it, in which it was this new thing. The fact that there's so many channels and so many ways to access highlights and interviews with the with the internet, it just now uh. SportsCenter is like now ESPN is just it's just digging up so much just dirt. They're digging themselves in a hole trying to get viewers. I'll watch ESPN for three things. That is PTI and uh, sometimes outside the lines if there's a good report on. And then yeah. the games they have. College football, college basketball, NASCAR. I will watch that's the only time I will watch ESPN. I don't Not watch even sports- for a for FR friend uh Graham Weinstein. Eh, you know, I love the guy, <laughs> but I mean, I don't. It's I don't. Need, I don't want to watch Sports Center for that because yeah. there's because stuff like that is so diluted. Every yeah. every every station network is is copying Tosh's idea of showing stupid videos. I mean, I think I was in the airport. I was in the airport last week, and um, and like CBS has like a viral video segment. I don't understand why. You know. Viral videos are viral for a reason, and then they stop. That's why no one's doing the ice bucket challenge in November. That's why nobody. Yeah. That's why nobody's planking it. Or the Harlem Shake. Exactly. So it's the fact that yeah, because then it crosses a fine line of, of in which a sports video. Just put it on the not top ten. Don't you know? First of all, and it's funny. How ESPN says we're still going to do it. You Google it, and there's no trace. There's no trace of who that guy, or that kid was. There's no trace of of the clip from Sports Center because usually that's always on ESPN.com. There's no trace from it. I think you know Sports Center and ESPN are a bunch of cowards for doing this. It just shows how uncreative our society is. It shows because <laughs> phones are getting bigger, and there's those commercials of the the laptops that flip backwards and you can split them in half. I don't care about that. I want a phone that makes calls. I want a phone that sends texts. I want a computer that surfs the web. It's like Joe, it's like what Joe Namath once said. He likes his Johnny Walker black and his women blonde. He wasn't like, oh, I want a faster cell phone. I want viral videos on SportsCenter. I want, you know, I mean, come on. It's, it's, it's out of control. Gosh, and I'm I'm like winded now. I'm so it's just so it's just yes, definition yes, of society. Yes. It's like when you it's like after you watch um you know NFL and you see a bunch of tweets just flying all over the board. <laughs> I mean it's insane. Whatever happened to pride? Exactly. That's right. It's, it's so so far so far on the other side. Any other final shout-outs you want to make before we end the show before I go blue in the face? You know, speaking of sports, speaking of unoriginal sports shows, Zone has another episode i got to edit later on, and it features the return of the great Jared Berman. And not only that, our NBA segment was basically a series of, of hot takes on the NBA that was fantastic. I hope to do it again. So check it out. Uh, you can check out all kinds of great stuff. Uh, about uh, sports zone, you know, you hit up the blog. I got, I've had some good stuff. Got the ESPN college basketball announcers with uh, no more dick by talent without crew. 
So how about that? You're boy Dick Vitale. Yeah. I think it makes it, it makes him more prestigious to put him on like special games because it, it's a yeah. swan song, a chance you know because because halfway during the college basketball season there'll be that one guy that's like mm, you know I do miss Diaper Dandy, even though he's old right. I do miss it. Glad uh, great at putting Jay Billis on Saturday night games. Always Absolutely. something like la- like last night Marvin Grant Hill. I like that team on TNT. I still think they need yeah, to bring like this Mike Fratella. They need to bring Mike Fratella back with Marv. And get rid of Reggie Miller because I don't know why he's still doing it. Oh, but speak, you mentioned the NBA. I do want to give two shout outs. Well, a shout out and then and then just a bat and then just a rip. I want to give a shout out <laughs> to Dirk Nowitzki because we mentioned Kobe Bryant breaking the the all time shot attempts record. But I want to give a shout out to Dirk Nowitzki, my Dallas Mavs, who became the ninth leading scorer of all time with his 23 points against the Kings the other night. And then he continued to do it again. He scored 21 last night against the 76ers. Dirk passed Akeem Olajuwon. He is, and, and the way it is, for how old he is, and in my, in my opinion, the greatest foreign player of all time. He's got a ring. He's got an MVP. He's continuing to elevate his game. So he's averaging like 21 points a game, and he's almost 40 years old. It's, I think he is 40. The fact that he's ninth all time, he could get to Shaquille O'Neal, is, I think, is six. And he could get to Shaq at least before he retires, which is fantastic because he only is relevant, you know, in the playoffs or like when you watch that one highlight when when he seems to do his ridiculous fall away. And you're like, ah, there's Dirk Nowitzki. You know, he's not like LeBron. He's not like Kevin Durant. He's a guy that has just worked hard, stayed with the same team, I might add. Because you look at the guys like Oscar Robinson, Elgin Baylor, those guys – bounced around from team to team. Like Carl Malone has very careers with multiple teams. Dirk has stayed at the Mavericks, and you got to applaud that. In a day and age of free agency, he has wanted to stay. Mark Cuban has been very good to him. So I want to give him a shout-out. Congratulations. I cannot wait to see what he Get does. Get him on the show. Get him on the show. The Mavs have been fantastic, especially last night, which goes to my other thought of – the laughing stock, which is the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, God. Dallas won by 53 last night, <laughs> 123 to 70. At one point, it was a score was 50. I think the score was like 55 to 10. Now, I know the Sixers are already tanking the season as, before we've even like reached the All Star. We already even reached Christmas, and the Sixers yeah. are like we're done. Got, I don't know what's up with that, but. Who is worse, Flo, this year's Raiders or the 76ers? Both teams haven't won a game. Yeah, you know, I, I got to go because, you know, the thing with the Raiders, they have been terrible, but they've also had some bad luck, and they've played relatively well against some decent teams of late, but they just haven't been able to break through. It is ridiculous. This team may very well end up, as particularly in a tough division where, you know, San Diego's been a mess of late. They play them on Sunday, but still, San Diego's been good. Kansas City's playing really well. Your Chiefs uh, and the Broncos are the Broncos. But I got to go with the Sixers at worst because there's like seriously, you look at the rotation. They're like a bunch of guys that wouldn't even crack lineup like a playoff team. Like the team is a complete farce. And but you know what? It's part of the system. And you know what? I give them credit for sticking to their system, and they're basically telling their fans, you know what? Don't even worry about this year. 
we're basically going to go into hibernation in a couple, couple years. We'll be good, which, you know what? I don't blame them for going that strategy. The Houston Astros did it, and, well, they're still bad, but they may be making progress. They weren't selling this year. So, uh, but, yeah, the Sixers are just a fiasco. They, they've got, like, nobody. At least they're legitimate football players on the Raiders. Carter, Michael Carter-Williams, uh, I think it was Rookie of the Year last year. He was. Put up great of the year, by the way. Yeah, but put up, like, numbers of a guy who averaged 16 points, 8 boards, and, and, like, 4 steals. Last guy to do it was Magic Johnson, which I had no idea. But it just it, that, that completely gets swept under the rug because they're so bad. I love how everyone's like, Nolan's Noel is this great player. First of all, he should have – everyone on that team should have stayed in college. I think there's only like three guys on that roster that stayed four years, and both of them, and the, and two of the three went to Georgetown, like Henry Sims <laughs> and Hollis Thompson, who I saw play when in college. So I know. I didn't even know at the start of the year who Hollis Thompson was. Exactly. Team is a joke, but you know, they, like I said, they're sticking to their guns. Another shout out I want to give is to uh, Dallas, Texas' own Clayton Kershaw, who not only won back-to-back Cy Youngs, but was the first pitcher since '68 to win the NL MVP, which he had statistically in a season, had a very dominant year. And also my boy Mike Trout, carrying the flag for the for our generation, winning unanimous AL MVP there. Right. Baseball, baseball talk is done. And I want to play a final clip and our final thought. We were supposed to do it last week, and now it's already three episodes in. Mike Tyson Mysteries. Hey, guys, everyone yes. has a message from someone that needs the help solving the mystery. Maybe before we take on the next mystery, we solve the mystery of figuring out how to turn me back into a human being. I mean, I have an actual interest in solving that mystery, unlike every other one. You deserve to be turned into a pigeon by your wife because you're disgusting. Ex-wife, and you don't know anything about relationships, you little homeschooled weirdo. Well, I think the most obvious mystery to solve is who is my mother and why did she leave me on Mike Tyson's doorstep when I was a baby? Probably because she didn't want you. There, mystery solved. That's it, team. Now we're all on the same page. All right, Mike Tyson Mysteries, 1030 Eastern, Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. Flo, quickly, why is this potentially one of the greatest shows ever made? You know, it's so ridiculous. But it, it, it is a show that – one thing that I give credit is a show that realizes how totally ridiculous it is. And also yep. for the fact I love Norm MacDonald. I think Norm MacDonald is one of my favorite comedians. And the fact that he's, oh, he's a pigeon. A pigeon. <laughs> no, he's a pigeon. It really is so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous, but it, it is enjoyable because it's it's just so it's what it's but as I said, it's a show that realizes how ridiculous it is. It just doesn't even try to sugarcoat it. And of course that'll do it all for uh, Fnatic Radio today, presented by one eight hundred flowers. Make sure to go to one eight hundred flowers dot com. Promo code uh Thanks twenty T W N T Y to get uh twenty percent off your Thanksgiving uh bouquet and flowers. Courtesy of us on Fnatic Radio. Once again, check out the podcast on iTunes, bflow360.com, the Facebook page, and blogtalkradio.com, where we will have our Thanksgiving show next week because Flo and I will be taking that next week off to actually celebrate with our families in the holidays. So we'll give our annual snack radio turkeys of the year. But go back and listen to the show. Talk, listen to us break down American University, college basketball, and the NASCAR championship round in Homestead. Before Ben Florence, I'm Mike Gardner saying 
First of all, thank you to our 50,000 fans. Here's to a million more and 100 flowers. This has been Fanatic Radio on Block Talk Radio. So long. We'll see you next time.